dismissed. And you can turn your Bibles to Mark chapter 6 this morning. And uh, we'll just continue on verse by verse. And uh, one more thing to, to be thinking about, be praying about. Patsy starts uh, chemo treatment soon. She went and got her port in um, and uh, is, is ready for the next step, whatever that may be. And so if you could keep her in your prayers, her and Eddie, I know that they would appreciate that. And uh, just praying that um, things go smoothly and uh, that, that Christ just continues to comfort her through this time. So Mark chapter 6. And we'll be uh, starting in verse uh, number 14 again. We won't read the passage for time's sake. uh, But again, I do want to have a word of prayer uh, before we jump in. And uh, as I pray, I just encourage you again to pray that God would speak to our hearts. Really, um, what that song just said, show us Christ. That that he would reveal himself to us through his word. And that we would be changed into his image um, by him doing so. So let's pray. God, again, we ask this morning that you would be with our hearts. Help them to be settled. God, help them to be focused. Help them to be attentive to your word. God, I pray that your spirit uh, would do a great work in our midst this morning, both individually and collectively. God, that our desire would be um, to hear you speak. And God, as you speak, I pray that we would be responsive, that, that we wouldn't forsake the word or push away the word or in our minds think that the word is not meant for us, maybe for everybody else, but God, I pray that we would just receive it as it is. God, I pray that as I preach, that you would be with me, that that you would give me the words to say that we need. And God, certainly as we go through this passage, um, there's many, many applications that could be made, and I pray that the ones that are made, God, that you would use them in our lives so that we could look more like your son, Jesus Christ. Again, God, we do ask if there's any here today that your spirit would open the eyes of their hearts, that they would see the truth of who Jesus is, that he is the savior of the world, and that by faith they would turn to him. We thank you again. Be with us now. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Some of the best lessons that we learn in life are not actually from positive experiences, but from negative experiences. Whether it's in our lives or the lives of those around us, We can glean much wisdom and knowledge from times in our lives where things go wrong. Who's ever made the statement, well, I'll never do that again? We all have, right? And why do we make that statement? Because we learn in doing something that there's a better way to do it, that how we thought it was going to turn out wasn't necessarily how it did turn out, and so we've got to find a new way to do it. In the 1920s, a journalist asked Thomas Edison how it felt to fail 1,000 times in his attempt to invent the incandescent light bulb. He replied, I didn't fail 1,000 times. He said, the light bulb was an invention with 1,000 steps. And as we think through that idea, as we think through his mindset, his attitude towards failure was that really it was leading him to success because it was revealing to him the way he shouldn't do things. And that is true in our lives as well. His attitude was great. His perseverance and persistence paid off. And aren't you thankful today that we have light bulbs? A few of you are. I am. I, I'm very thankful for light bulbs. Well, today we're going to learn some valuable lessons from a very negative example. This passage, though, it talks about John the Baptist, who is a hero of the faith. It's really more so drawing our attention to Herod. And if you're familiar with the New Testament at all, then you'll quickly understand 
that anytime you hear any variation of the name Herod, you can expect opposition to the gospel. The Herods were great, a great ruling family. Not great because they were good, but great because their line was long and their works were evil. I pray this morning that we would see what God would have us to see as we look into his word and as we look into this life of a man who gave into his sinful passions continually. We know that John the Baptist was bold, but John was also a great example. His boldness tended to get him in trouble from time to time, but his message was one of sincerity. His life was one of integrity. His heart was filled with passion and compassion, and he continually pointed others to the one who was coming, and his name was Jesus. His job was to prepare the way of the Lord, to call people to turn from their sins and to turn to Christ. And while he preached in a time of great transition, we also understand that his heart was so in tune with the will of God that he was willing to put his life on the line for the message that he preached. John, though he dies in this passage, is in reality a hero of the faith. As we looked in the beginning sections of Mark, we learned a great deal from John the Baptist and about John the Baptist. But now, today, in Mark chapter 6, we're going to learn a great deal from one of the men that he preached to in particular. The big idea is this. Herod stands as an example of how not to live. His willingness to continually indulge in sinful passions led to his heart being one that became hardened towards the things of God. Mark gives us the greatest insight when it comes to the situation with Herod and Herodias and John the Baptist. As he showed us last week, the trial of Christ in his hometown, he then shows us another believer who paid a high price for following, and really it's a call for all believers to look and see what it is they're actually living for. Scripture, I believe, is written intentionally. And the flow of the text from verse to verse and chapter to chapter is not accidental. And God is relaying a great truth as he goes from talking about the power of Christ in chapter 5 to then talking about the trials that, were, that believers will face in chapter 6. And we would do well to pay attention to these things. Herod lived for himself while John lived for the sake of Christ. And while one lived a long life on earth fulfilling the passions of his flesh, the other enjoys a a fruit of faithful life for all of eternity. So we're going to see three things this morning as we learn from Herod. And I do pray that we would take these things to heart. I do pray that we would examine our lives in these areas, even as believers. Because we must understand that even as believers, we're still prone to sin. We still have a, a... a proneness to wander away from God, to do things our own way. And that's really uh, what Herod's problem was. He just wanted to do things his own way. So I pray that as we look to this text today, God would speak to our hearts and that we would be changed into the image of Christ. The first thing we see this morning is that Herod was unwilling to believe. Unwilling to believe. In verses 14 through 16 again, Mark says this, And King Herod heard of him speaking of Jesus. If we were to back up, uh, we, we saw last week how Jesus had sent out the disciples and they would go and heal and do many great miracles and they went and preached repentance. But the passage was really centered on Christ and the, the trial that he faced earlier on in chapter 6 of being rejected in his hometown. 
And so all of these great things were happening. And Mark continues the story in verse 14 and says, King Herod heard of him, heard of Christ, for his name was spread abroad. Everybody was talking about Jesus. And Herod said that John the Baptist was risen from the dead, and therefore mighty works do show forth themselves in him. Others said that it is Elias, and, uh, and others said that it is a prophet or as one of the prophets. But when Herod heard thereof, he said, It is John whom I beheaded. He is risen from the dead. Unwilling to believe. Herod Antipas is the man that we're examining today. And like his father, Herod the Great, we see that he was a man who was filled with evil passions. And those evil passions were constantly put on display in the life that he lived. Mark reveals to us in verse 14 that Herod heard of him or heard of Jesus because his name was gaining a lot of uh, traction and a lot of fame and a lot of attention. And while for many the name of Jesus filled them with hope and great wonder and excitement. For Herod, the name of Jesus, caused him to be filled with fear. He was not thinking that this Jesus was the Messiah, but rather he was convinced that Jesus was in reality John the Baptist raised from the dead. People around Herod were thinking that this was Elijah or one of the other prophets, which actually shows in some ways they were paying attention to the Old Testament for wasn't the promise given that one would come in the spirit of John the Baptist? As we studied Malachi, we saw that just a few weeks ago. But while others were thinking it was a prophet or one that was like a prophet, John uh, or Herod rather was convinced that John the Baptist was raised from the dead. As I was thinking through this, scenario and thinking through the mindset of Herod, it it came and struck me that that oftentimes our bad decisions in life come with a haunting later on, don't they? The things that we've done in our past, oftentimes we'll come back and and we'll, we'll think through those scenarios, we'll wonder about those scenarios, and that's exactly what was happening here. Herod knew later on in the story that killing John the Baptist was not a good thing. It was not the right thing to do. It was not the thing that was supposed to happen from an earthly standpoint because really John had done no wrong, but that decision was haunting him now and all he could think about was kind of like the Christmas Carol movie, right? That his past decisions were now haunting him in the future and there was nothing he could do about it. Well, John was on the earth. John and Herod had several interactions, and Herod was feeling the weight of his choices against John, and so he was convinced that his decisions from the past were plaguing him in the present, and there was nothing he could do about it. You can tell just by reading the text that he was filled with angst. He was filled with anxiety. He was sitting on the edge of his seat as he was hearing the name of Jesus, as he was hearing about all the things that this man was doing, and he couldn't get it out of his mind, the things that he had done to John the Baptist. In part, his angst was because of the decisions he, was, he had made towards John. But also, we have to understand that in part, the angst that he was feeling was because he chose to reject the truth that John had faithfully preached to him time and time again. We have to understand this as believers who live in our day and age, that regardless of how people accept the truth, our job is to continually preach the truth. We're not responsible for their decisions. John was not responsible for Herod's decision, but John was responsible in continually proclaiming the truth that God had given him. And in part, one of the things that John was calling Herod out for was his sin in marrying his brother's wife, Herodias. 
And so John was a bold man. John faithfully preached the word of God, the word of repentance to Herod. John faithfully called out Herod for the sins that he had done and was still doing. And yet Herod was unwilling to believe the truth. I believe that if Herod had repented and found forgiveness in the promises of God, then his life would have changed and his past no longer would have haunted him. He would have understood what what true forgiveness was, but because he rejected the truth, because he was unwilling to believe, he was dealing, so to speak, with the, the demons of his past in the present day that he was living in. You see, Herod would rather believe that John the Baptist was raised from the dead than the one that John preached about was actually living in front of him in that day. Herod wasn't living in reality. He was so consumed with him, he was so consumed with what he had done, that he was again forsaking the message that John was preaching, that there was one who was coming, the Lamb of God who was slain before the foundation of the world, that all men should look to, and yet Herod was so consumed with himself, with the things that he had done, that he was not living in reality, but he was living in an alternate reality, and it was messing with his life in every way. As I was thinking through the way that Herod was living his life, it struck me that this is really how much of the world lives. Instead of living in the reality that there is a God and that God did send his son Jesus to die for the sins of the world, to be the savior of all who would place their faith and trust in him. Instead of living in that reality, they live in their own reality, that they can do enough good to earn their way to God, that they can do enough good to to appease a wrathful or an angry God, and they continue in their sins, calling their sins actually righteousness, and God has a lot to say about that in his word. In fact, as Paul writes to the church at Rome in Romans chapter 1, verses 18 through 32, he addresses this very thing, people who are unwilling to believe. He says in verse 18, for the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who hold the truth in unrighteousness. Because that which may be known of God is manifest in them, for God has showed it unto them. For the invisible things from the creation of the world are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. Because that when they knew God, they glorified him not as God, neither were thankful, and became vain in their imaginations, and their foolish heart was darkened. Does that not describe the life that Herod lived? God had revealed the truth to him through John. John said there is one who is coming, who is the redeemer, the savior of the world. If Herod just looked around him, he could tell by creation that there was a true God who deserved to be worshipped. And yet Herod forsook all of those things. And he continued in their vain, in his vain imagination. He chose not to glorify God. And as Paul continues in Romans chapter 1, he professed himself to be wise. And in reality, he became a fool. He changed the glory of the uncorruptible God into an image like, made like to corruptible man into birds and four-footed beasts and creeping things. And this is where the story gets sad, not just about those who Paul is talking about in Romans 1, but also in the life of Herod. So they had the truth, they rejected the truth. In verse 24, Paul says this, Wherefore God also gave them up to uncleanness through the lust of their own hearts to dishonor their bodies between themselves 
who changed the truth of God into a lie and worshipped and served the creature more than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. For this cause, again, God gave them up unto vile affections, for even their women did change the natural use into that which is against nature. And likewise, also the men, leaving the natural use of the women, burned in their lust toward one another, men with men, working that which is unseemly, and receiving in themselves that recompense of their error, which was meat. And even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge... Again, God gave them over to a reprobate mind to do those things which are not convenient. Being filled with all unrighteousness, fornication, wickedness, covetousness, maliciousness, full of envy, murder, debate, deceit, malignity, whispers, backbiters, haters of God, despiteful, proud, boasters, inventors of evil things, disobedient to parents. Without understanding, covenant breakers, natural, without natural affection, implacable, unmerciful, who knowing the judgment of God, that they which commit such things are worthy of death, not only do the same, but have pleasure in them that do them. And so as John came on the scene preaching the truth of the coming Messiah faithfully, preaching of the, 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 the sinfulness of sin, most specifically to Herod. As he called out Herod for the things that he would do, was doing, Herod had ample opportunity to repent and turn away from his sins, to believe the message that John had preached. But because Herod continually hardened his heart, he was also unwilling to believe the message that John preached. And what did it lead to? It eventually led to Herod rejecting Christ later on in life in a final way to the point where Christ would not even speak to him when Herod spoke to Christ. He was unwilling to believe. He had opportunities time and time again, and yet he was unwilling to believe the truth. And if you're here today and you've heard the gospel message in your lifetime, understand that there will come a day where it might not be that you're un, uh, unable or unwilling to believe, but it's that you're unable to believe because you'll pass from this life into the next without trusting Jesus Christ as your Savior. And friend, if you continue in your sinfulness, if you continue in your rejection, Paul tells us in the end of Romans 1, that the judgment of God is going to fall upon you and you will be separated from God for all of eternity. And so the first lesson we learn from Herod is learning from his unwillingness to believe. But friend, can I say this morning that this doesn't just apply to non-believers, but it applies to believers as well? Oh, we like to believe the truth of salvation because it gives us great comfort but John didn't just preach the truth of salvation. He preached what was true from God, that sin is sin, that, that sin has destruction in your life and in the lives of those around you, that sin will cost you in ways that you can't even fathom. And when John looked at the lifestyle that Herod was living, as he saw him take his brother's wife and divorce his own wife and then continue in that sinful lifestyle, a lifestyle of debauchery, it cost Herod more than he ever could have imagined. And so I would ask us today, do, do we believe what God's Word says? Do we believe the, the, the parts that are convenient to us, the parts that fit the lifestyle that we're already living, or do we believe the Word of God as a whole? We're called to believe the Word of God as a whole. God doesn't lie. God doesn't lead us into darkness. God doesn't lead us astray, but He leads us into light as we follow Him in the truth. 
And as John came preaching to Herod, as John came on the scene, Herod was more willing to believe that John was raised from the dead than the one that John preached about was actually in front of him in that moment. And what a sad reality this was for John. But first off this morning, he was unwilling to believe. The second thing is that Herod was unwilling to listen. In verses 17 through 20, the text continues, and it says, For Herod himself had sent forth and laid hold upon John and bound him in prison for Herodias' sake, his brother Philip's wife, for he had married her. For John uh, had said unto Herod, It is not lawful for thee to have thy brother's wife. Therefore Herodias had a quarrel against him and would have killed him, but she could not. For Herod feared John, knowing that he was a just man and a holy man, and observed him, And when he heard him, did many things and heard him gladly. So the first thing was that John was unwilling or Herod was unwilling to believe. The second thing is that Herod was unwilling to listen. In verses 17 through 20, Mark takes us back to the scene that led to the beheading of John. Herod is one of those who was guilty of taking John's life because he had given the command for the executioner to go in and chop his head off. We understand through the text that this was not Herod's desire. But Herod was such a puppet. He was controlled by his emotions. He was controlled by those around him. And whatever other people wanted, Herod found himself giving into those things while being unwilling to listen to the truth that would have led him to life. Apparently, as we have already said, John had an opportunity to either have a private conversation or a public conversation about some of the choices that Herod was making. I tend to believe it was both. I tend to believe that there were times when Herod and John actually spoke individually and and John told Herod, the way you're going is sinful. But knowing what we know about John the Baptist, wouldn't it also make sense that John was on the streets publicly declaring that Herod is living a life of sin? He would have been a modern-day protester in in some way or in some sort. Now, I don't know if that's the most effective way to do things, but it's apparent that John was getting his message across, and I don't really think John cared about how it made people feel uh, from from their sinful lifestyles. So Herod, he divorced his wife, his legal wife, the wife that he married, and he took his brother Philip's wife, and said, I'm going to make her my own. Now, this, is, this story is already a little bit sick and twisted, right? He, he's, he's a man who, who was deranged in his mind. He was a man who was filled with sinful and lustful passions. And he was willing to, to do anything to accomplish what he wanted to accomplish. Herod's decision probably divided an already divided family. Doesn't sound like the Herods got along all that great amongst themselves. And Herod's decision here to take his brother's wife from him and marry her would only cause further destruction and chaos in that family. This relationship was was not only adulterous, but it was also incestuous because most believe that Herodias wasn't just his brother Philip's wife, but Herodias was also Herod's niece. So it's disgusting. It's vile. 
It's a story that, that's filled with atrocity. It's a story that's filled uh, with, with revealing the depths of sin within the hearts of humanity. So not only was he willing to say, hey, I'm going to marry my brother's wife, but also I'm going to marry this girl, this woman who is my niece. Now, this doesn't speak very well of, of Herod Philip either, right? Because he had made some bad decisions as well. And that just goes to show that this was continuing in their family. The, the choice of sin was leading to more sin, and this adulterous relationship was causing John to stand up and say, hey, what you're doing is wrong. Now, it wasn't just Herod Antipas and Herod Philip who were evil, but we also have to understand that Herodias, the, the woman that Herod married, that both the Herods married, she was also an evil woman. Many people compare her to a New Testament version of Jezebel in the Old Testament. She was a woman who craved power, who craved control, who wanted her passions to be fulfilled at any cost. And when John was speaking out against the relationship that Herod and Herodias had, we see that Herodias said, I want him dead. I'm not going to stand for his preaching. I'm not going to stand for the things that he's saying any longer. I want him dead. Now, we have to understand that in all of this, Herod was the one who was moving the pawns around, so to speak, from an earthly perspective. He was the one who was in some level of control to make decisions to continue in this way and to make decisions to repent of this way. But Herod chose to be passive. Herod chose to neglect the preaching of John, he chose to do what his, his flesh desired to do, and therefore he chose to bring upon himself future judgment that he would not be able to stand against. Herod made a mess of things. John was speaking the truth, and Herod continued to ignore it. Now we could talk about Herod's decision to ignore the truth all day long, but believer, how many times do we ignore the truth? How many times do we allow our sinful passions and the lusts of our flesh to draw us away from the place that God wants us to be in? How many times do we look more like the wicked man in Psalm chapter 1 than we do look like the righteous man in Psalm chapter 1? How many times are we driven around like chaff in the wind, blowing from one place to the next, never being settled, never, never uh, getting on the path that God wants us to be on, but rather continuing in our sinfulness. And so one of the things that we can learn from Herod is not only that he was unwilling to believe, but that he was unwilling to listen when truth was presented to him. I wonder in our lives today, what things has God shown us in our lives that we need to turn away from, but instead, in persistence, we press on to do what we want. Friends, this, this is not a popular message, but I think it's a message that we need to think about in our minds and in our hearts, because can't we convince ourselves always that our ways are constantly right? And even if they're not right, even if in our minds we know they're not right, don't we often convince ourselves that God will give us a free pass in this area because of who we are. Friends, do we understand today that we are only who we are because of God's grace to us to begin with? And that grace should not be taken advantage of. That grace should not be used to slap God in the face and say, I'm going to live any way I want. But rather, that grace should be used to repent of our sins and run back to him time and time again. 
You see, it's one thing for an unregenerate heart to directly rebel against God, but what about hearts that have been redeemed? Is it not treasonous in some way for us to look at our king and say, I know this is what you have commanded, but I'm going to choose to live life my own way regardless of what you have said. You see, we saw in Romans 1 that as Paul was speaking of those who had rejected God, that God eventually gave them up or gave them over three times. He uses that phrase to show the severity and the judgment that came upon them. And what was the judgment that came upon them? They got what they wanted. And what a sad story that was. And I would ask us today, what if, friends, what if God gave us the sinful desires of our heart? What if God said, this is the thing you desire, this is the thing you're going to get? Ultimately, that's judgment. Why? Because God is saying, my way is the right way, my way is holy, my way is the way that you should walk in, and yet I'm going to give you what you desire, what is the opposite of what I want for you. John came to Herod preaching and saying, hey, what you're doing is not just sinful, it's not just immoral, but it goes against the very law of God. You're sinning against God by taking your brother's wife. And Herod said, I'm going to do what I want. I wonder today in our lives, how many of us have traveled down that same path, knowing what God has said, but being unwilling to listen to what God has said because our desires are overriding what we know to be good and right and true. How many marriages would be ruined because of sinful lusts if God allowed them to become a reality? Think about that. You say, well, those, those lusts in my mind are simply lusts in my mind. That's just who I am. That's just the way that God made me. Friend, if God gave us over to our sinful lust. Life as we knew it, or as we know it, would be destroyed. The Bible reveals to us that the pleasure of sin only lasts for a season. One day judgment will come. So what do we do? We repent of our sinful lusts. We repent of anything that goes against the word of God, knowing that God's way is best, knowing that God's way is better. I wonder... How many lives would be destroyed if God gave us over to our sinful passions of addiction in places like alcohol or other substances? Now, I'll, I'll be the first to say, and, and this is going to upset people on both sides of the aisle, and I guess just be upset until you get your heart right. I, I'm not the type of person that says a Christian can't drink alcohol. But I am the type of person that says, Christian, be careful if you drink alcohol. Why? How many lives has alcohol ruined? How many lives? Think, think about it for a moment. And, and even if you have a handle on your drinking, praise God that you do. But can I ask, what example are we setting in front of our kids? What example are we setting to those that we're trying to win for the sake of the gospel? Again, I, I'm not going to tell you it's wrong to drink. I will tell you it's wrong to be drunk because the Bible clearly defines that. And I will tell you that the Bible outlines time and time again the dangers associated with alcohol, 
that it pulls us away from, from having a clear view of who God is and what God wants to having a distorted view. And it's no wonder that, that in many of the feasts, and, and we'll see this a little later, many of the feasts where kings made really bad decisions, what were they surrounded with? They were surrounded with drink that would have intoxicated them. So I'm not saying, again, please hear me. Everybody, ears open. I'm not saying you can't drink. But I am saying be careful if you drink. Because it could lead to destruction in your life or it could lead to destruction in the lives of your children. I wonder how many families, if God gave us over to our lustful passions, would be ravaged simply by bitterness. Oh, you're not going to get divorced because, you know, the Bible condemns that, but doesn't the Bible probably condemn more so the sin of bitterness that lies in the hearts of humans? And so spouses that fight incessantly understand it will have fallout in your life. Well, well, I just can't change the way it is. No, you're, you're probably right. You can't change the way it is. But guess what? God can change the way it is. If we repent of our sins, if we repent of our wayward heart, God can set us on a track that, that is filled with blessings and joy and peace. And yet so often, so many of us just simply want what we want, that we for, we're willing to forsake what God has offered to us. Isn't that crazy? That we would want what we desire over what God has said, I'm willing to give you. And we all do it. Well, we can continue. How many churches would implode because of selfishness and greed and pride. I hear stories every week of churches that, that are falling apart because individuals are filled with greed. They're filled with pride. They want things their way. Praise God that we do not have that testimony. And pray to God that we never have that testimony. That it's not about me, it's not about you. That if things aren't done in the way that I want them to be done, then guess what? It's okay, because it's probably not affecting eternity if it's not a doctrinal or theological change that's being made. In the areas in our lives where when we come into this place, we have hearts that are beginning to be hardened by selfishness or greed and pride. Are we willing to repent of those things? Or if God gives us to those things, will we be the ones that cause a good thing that God is doing to fall apart? Or maybe it's just something as simple as a bad attitude. Do you know a bad attitude can change a lot? Anybody ever struggle with a bad attitude before? What if God gave you the desires of your heart in the moments when you had a bad attitude. Think how many people you would hurt. Think, think how many lives that you would touch in a negative way. And so as John came preaching, you may say, we're way out of what, what is happening in Mark chapter 6. But I don't think that we are. Because what happened in this scenario is John came preaching and he said, Herod, the way that you're living is wrong. The way that you're living is immoral. And in some way, like we saw in Romans 1, God gave Herod over to the desires of his heart and it only led to continual destruction and chaos and heartbreak and ruin for the rest of Herod's days. From what we know and understand, Herod never became a believer. Did Herod have the opportunity to become a believer? 
He did. But eventually he hardened his heart in such a way that when he came face to face with Christ later on in Luke's gospel, the Bible says that Herod was excited to see Jesus, but Jesus would not speak a word to Herod. Again, Herod wasn't excited to see Jesus because he was the Messiah. Herod was excited to be Jesus because he wanted to see Jesus do one of his magic tricks. Jesus knew his heart. And so when Herod spoke to Jesus, Jesus rejected him. He didn't even give him any attention, and it led to further fallout in the life of Herod. And so, friends, I, w- I would ask us this morning, are we willing to listen? Are we willing to listen when God speaks about the sinfulness in our own hearts? Are we willing to listen when God says, hey, you've got a problem with this, and you need to let go of it, or else it's going to bring chaos into your life? Are we the ones who say, but God, I can handle it. God, I know what I'm doing. God, I have this thing under control. How many people ruin their lives by saying those very words, I have this thing under control? Many, many people. And friends, we talked about a few scenarios today, and and the truth is, there's many, many more scenarios that we could talk about. And my point is not to call out every sin that we collectively struggle with. My point is to call our attention to this, this truth that if we're unwilling to listen to what the Word of God says, then it will cause chaos in our lives either now or in the future. It'll cause chaos in our lives individually but it will also cause chaos in the lives of those that we live with. And as a parent, I, I mainly, in these instances, think of my children. What kind of parent do I want to be in front of my kids? What sort of example am I setting in front of my kids? And so John preaches the truth. He says, what you're doing is unlawful, it's sinful. Herodias was upset, she was angry. The Bible says she had a quarrel against him in verse 19, which means that she held a grudge. She held a grudge. She was bitter. And why was she bitter? Because just as Herod knew that John was preaching the truth, don't you think she also knew that John was preaching the truth? And she held that grudge, and she would have killed him, but she didn't have the ability to do so. And why? Because Herod, in some ways, respected John. It's such a strange dynamic. He appreciated John. He appreciated the integrity that John had. Read verse 20. He appreciated that he was a holy man. He appreciated even the things that that John was saying. But when he heard him, the Bible says he did many things. And that means that he got a little bit fidgety. Every time John would speak, Herod got a little uncomfortable in his skin, knowing that, that, that what he was saying was the truth. But the verse ends by saying this, but he heard him gladly. Why is that? You see, because in some ways, Herod was entertained by John. Oh, because he could could preach a sermon like no other. He would thunder forth in a way that would catch everybody's attention. But he never let it sink into his heart. He liked the way that John handled himself, but he wouldn't believe the message that John preached. So as we learn from Herod, first off, we see that he was unwilling to believe. And I would ask you, are you unwilling to believe? Would you rather make up something in your mind about Jesus rather than believe the truth that's revealed to us about Jesus in the Word of God? 
He was unwilling to listen. John preached the truth. Herod enjoyed hearing John. Made him a little uncomfortable at times. But he came back time and time again. Because he was entertained by John. And friend, if the Bible or church or the Word of God is only entertainment to us, then we better check our heart's position before God in the area of salvation. He was unwilling to believe. He was unwilling to listen. And then finally, he was unwilling to take a stand. In verses 21 through 29, the passage continues. Last week I forgot my watch and I told you we might go long because I didn't have my watch. This week I have my watch and we might go long. Um, Just buckle up. Verses 21 through 29, he says, And when a convenient day was come that Herod on his birthday made a supper to his lords, high captains, and chief uh, chief estates of Galilee, and when the daughter of the said Herodias came in and danced and pleased Herod, And them that sat with him, the king said unto the damsel, Ask of me whatsoever thou wilt, and I will give it thee. And he sware unto her, Whatsoever thou shalt ask of me, I will give it to thee on behalf of my kingdom. And she went forth and said unto her mother, What shall I ask? And she said, The head of John the Baptist. And she came in straightway with haste unto the king and asked, saying, I will that thou give me by and by and a charger the head of John the Baptist. And the king was exceeding sorry, yet for his oath's sake, and for their sakes that sat with him, he would not reject her. And immediately the king sent an executioner and commanded his head to be brought, and he went and beheaded him in the prison, and brought his head in a charger and gave it to the damsel, and the damsel gave it to her mother. And when his disciples heard of it, they came and took up his corpse and laid it in the tomb. So Herod was un willing to believe, he was unwilling to listen, and he was unwilling to stand against what he himself knew was wrong. He was willing to listen, as we said, in some ways, but he was unwilling to listen actively in applying the words that were spoken by John. And so the scene is set. It's Herod's birthday. My, my birthday's in a couple of weeks, the 23rd of July, and, and as I've meditated over this passage Time and time again, you know what I've realized? I am never throwing myself a birthday party. Bad things happen when you throw yourself a birthday party, right? That's a lesson learned. Let other people throw a party for you. I'm not asking for a party because it only reminds me of how old I'm getting. I'm just saying, I'm not throwing myself a party. The Herod threw a party. And he invited all the the high-ranking officials to come and enjoy a time of feasting and a time of drinking and a time of celebration, not to the goodness and the graciousness of God, but he invited all these people in to celebrate himself. Doesn't that show how vain he was? How filled with arrogance and pride that he would say, hey, why don't you come over on this day at this time and we're going to celebrate me. Arrogance. So they get there and they begin to have a good time. And as the party is ramping up, we see that Herodias sticks her nose into what's going on there and she sends in her daughter. I mentioned this a little earlier, but anytime rulers seem to throw themselves a party in the Bible, it doesn't go well. Think of the story of Esther. What happened to his wife, uh, to, to Azuerus' wife? He, he ended up banishing her from the kingdom when he threw a party for himself. Why? Because his wife wouldn't do what she wanted. Think of the book of Daniel when Belshazzar had his doom read to him when he threw a party for himself to honor himself and the great things that he had done. Bad things came when he threw a party. And now in the life of Herod, he throws a party for himself. And 
And they're probably having a great time, probably enjoying some, some really, really good food, probably laughing it up, who knows what they're talking about. And all of a sudden, Herodias sends in her daughter, Salome was her name, and she dances before these men. Now, we could look at that innocently and just think she was a, a beautiful girl who, who came in and danced in an innocent way before these men, but understand that's not what happened here. She came in in a provocative, in a distasteful, in a sinful way to dance before these men, one of which whom was her stepfather. And he enjoyed it so much, looking at his stepdaughter, and he said, whatever you want, I'll give you. And he reiterates it. He's like a, a, a puppy who, who wants a treat. He's, he's nagging. He said, whatever you want, you've pleased me so much. Whatever you want, I'll give you whatever you want. Up to half my kingdom. The girl doesn't know what to ask. So she goes back to her mom, Herodias, who had a plan all along. She says, mom, what should I ask for? And Herodias says, you should ask for the head of John the Baptist and a charger. okay. Like, of all the things we could ask for, and this is what you're telling me to ask for, Mom? I don't, I don't really get it, but you're my mom, so I'm going to go ahead. And, and she made her way back into Herod, the king. And with great determination in her voice, she says, I want the head of John the Baptist in the charger. Herod is grieved. She already, he already protected John from... Herodias killing him at one point. Many believe that's why he was in prison, to hide John away from the evil desires of his wife. What, what a marriage that must have been, right? What joy that relationship must have been. And she got her chance. And so with a grieving heart, Herod sends an executioner into the prison, and they chop off the head of John the Baptist. And why did this take place? Because Herod wasn't willing to take a stand. Herod could have said, I'll do anything, but I won't do that. Right? He could have said, I'll give you all the money you want, but I'm not going to kill an innocent man. But why did he? Why does he do this? Why does he give in to her desires? Well, if you look at, at verse number 26, the Bible said, And the king was exceeding sorry, yet for his oath's sake and for their sakes which sat with him, he would not reject her. At this point, he was placing the opinions of others over what he knew what was right. Because of the oath that he made to her, well, he could say, well, he's an upstanding guy, he kept his oath. How many oaths do you think Herod broke in his lifetime? As many as he wanted. This, this wasn't an upstanding moral citizen that we're talking about here. He didn't keep the oath of his marriage with his first wife, and he broke the oath of his brother's wife's marriage by taking his wife to be his new wife, and so because of pride, again, because he was afraid to show that he was weak and because he was afraid of what other people thought of him, he went against what his own heart was telling him to do and he called for the execution of John the Baptist. The Bible says that he was sorry, but Paul tells us there's a godly sorrow that works repentance to salvation but the sorrow of this world works death. You see, Herod wasn't sorry because he had sinned against God. Herod, in some part, was sorry because he was losing some form of entertainment in his life. 
Herod was sorry because he genuinely liked this guy in some regards. And now this man's life was being taken from him. And it seems that every road when Herod had the opportunity to straighten out his path, through the power of the Spirit of God, by listening to the Word of God as it was preached, Herod rejected continually that option and did what was easy or did what he wanted. So Herod was unwilling to take a stand. And I would ask us as believers today, as we seek to learn from Herod, where are we drawing the line in our Christian lives? Have we capitulated to to everybody else but to what the Word of God says? Have we caved under the pressure of what society thinks and what the world thinks and what this person thinks and what that person thinks? Or or are we willing to take a stand? I love the story of Daniel that when a decree was made that he should not pray, what did Daniel do? He didn't do it in their face. He did it in the privacy of his own home. He went and prayed to his God three times. Why? Because he was willing to take a stand. The three Hebrew boys, when they were thrown in the fiery furnace, why were they thrown there? Because they were willing to take a stand. And how many other people in the word of God have a testimony that would would be worthy of us following in our lives because they were willing to take a stand? Now, I, I think we also have to weigh, as we think about taking a stand, is how do we take a stand? Are we taking a stand in a pharisaical way, saying, I'm holier than you, look at all the good things that I'm doing in my life, Or is the stand that we're taking because of the convictions of our heart and and is it our understanding of this, that that truthfully we're standing not before an audience of many, but we're standing before an audience of one. That I know what God's word says. And I'm going to be willing to take a stand, even if it's uncomfortable. Now, I I would say that as we take a stand, we, we take a stand for truth and we take a stand in love. You read the stories of John the Baptist and Herod, and I believe that John loved Herod. He didn't love the things that Herod was doing, but he loved Herod. Why? Because he understood that Herod had a soul. That one day, if Herod died in his sins, he would spend eternity separated from God. And while many who were religious would look at Herod and say, he deserves to die and be separated from God. John lived his life with a heart of compassion towards people like this. Understanding that when they died, they would be separated. And that grieved John's heart. And so if we're going to learn from Herod, we see that he was unwilling to believe, he was unwilling to listen, and he was unwilling to take a stand. As we begin to wrap things up today, one final note on this idea of taking a stand is simply this. Before we take a stand against others, we should probably take a stand against the sin in our lives. Before we call everybody else out, we should probably examine our own hearts to make sure that we are living in a way that brings glory to God. As I said, Herod and Jesus have another encounter later on in Luke chapter 23, verses 6 through 12. The Bible says when Pilate heard of of Galilee, he asked whether the man was a Galilean, speaking of Jesus when he was on trial Verse 7 says, And as soon as he knew that he belonged unto Herod's jurisdiction, he sent to Herod, who himself also was at Jerusalem at the time. Have you noticed that the rulers in the Bible were pretty wimpy men? 
They never wanted to do what was right. They always wanted to shift it off to somebody else. And that's exactly, again, what happens in this scenario with Herod and Pilate. In verse 8, when Herod saw Jesus, he was exceeding glad, for he was desirous to see him for a long season because he had heard many things of him and he hoped to have seen some miracle done by him. Then he, being Herod, questioned him in many words. But he, speaking of Jesus, answered him nothing. And the chief priests and scribes stood and vehemently accused him. And Herod, with his men of war, set him at naught and mocked him and arrayed him in a glorious robe and sent him again to Pilate. And the same day, Pilate and Herod were made friends together, for they were at enmity between themselves. Isn't it interesting that these two wicked rulers became friends at the expense of the life of Jesus? Because they had had joined leagues against Jesus, they were once enemies, probably fighting for power, but now they had become friends at the expense of Jesus. And what a chilling scene that is. Herod had one more opportunity to stand before Jesus and say, I've heard the message of John. I know that the life that I've lived has has been full of sin and debauchery, and my sin was not ultimately against those that I rule over or those that I sinned with, but my sin was ultimately against God, and I recognize you, Jesus, as the Messiah, and I seek your forgiveness. Instead, Herod questions him, with many words. We don't know what those words were, but they weren't probably good words because Jesus didn't answer him a single word. And so what does Herod do? In spite of Jesus, with hatred in his heart, he throws a royal purple robe on Jesus. He sends him out mocking the very one who had the power to give him forgiveness over all the sins that he had committed. Probably there's not much of a sadder scene found in the Word of God. I wonder, as in this passage, Herod had haunting thoughts about John the Baptist in this portion of his life. I wonder, how many haunting thoughts did Herod have about Jesus later on in his life? The man who was willing to forgive me is the man that I helped condemn to death. Herod was unwilling to believe. Herod was unwilling to listen. And Herod was unwilling to take a stand. And as we learn from the negative uh, side of Herod's life, let us also learn from the positive side of John the Baptist's life. Herod was unwilling to believe, but John believed unto death. And when his head was severed from his body, he entered eternally into rest. A man who lived a hard life preaching the truth of the gospel, rejected almost at every corner. He spent his last days in prison, even in his own heart and mind, having doubts. Yet those doubts were, were taken away by Jesus. He believed unto death, and when he took his last breath in his life, he entered into the rest that was provided to him through the lamb that he preached for years and years before. Herod was unwilling to listen, but John listened and obeyed regardless of what it cost him. Why do you think John went to Herod? Because God impressed it upon John's heart to go to Herod. That was the, the nail in his coffin. And yet John was willing to listen and obey to do what God wanted him to do. And while Herod was unwilling to take a stand, 
we see that John wouldn't back down. And in the end, if we had John the Baptist before us today and he was preaching a sermon, you know what I believe John would say? It was worth it. It was worth it. Every word I spoke, every sin I called out, every message I preached pointing others to Jesus, it was indeed worth it. And so friend, as we close this morning, I simply ask you these things. Do you believe? Do you believe that John's Jesus can be your Jesus? That he wasn't just a mythical figure that John preached about, but he truly is God in the flesh who came to die for the sins of the world to give hope to all who will place their faith and trust in him. Friend, if you're looking to anything else to save you, at the end of your life, you will be severely disappointed because Jesus alone saves. And so I plead with you today, as I believe John pleaded with Herod, will you believe? Will you turn to Christ by faith, repenting of your sins and looking to him alone for salvation? For those of you who are saved, I would ask you this. Are you willing to listen and obey? You don't know how much of me wanted to take out the examples that I listed in my sermon. That's what I laid in bed last night struggling with. Why? Because I love you. And I don't ever want you to think that I'm picking people apart for my own desires. But friend, sometimes the truth is hard to hear. And the question I would ask is, are we willing to listen? You say, well, it's easy for you to stand up there and say those things. Obviously, you've never stood up here and said these things before because it's not easy. And I'll confess that before I got up here and said these things to you, to us, the Spirit said them to my own heart. And so will we listen and obey? Will we believe that God's way is the best way? Or will, will we abandon the truth and holiness and righteousness of our God and Savior Jesus Christ on the altar of our sinful desires? And then finally this morning, will you take a stand? I said a moment ago, when we take a stand, I think we do need to take a look at how we take a stand. But the question I want to leave us with is, will we take a stand? And before we take a stand against what other people are doing, will we start by taking a stand against maybe the things that we're doing? John the Baptist quite a man. Herod, quite a man. The question we have to ask is, which one of those men will we emulate with our lives? Will we learn from Herod? Will we learn from John? And ultimately, will we learn from the one that John preached, Jesus, the Savior of the world? God, we're thankful this morning to gather in your house. We're thankful for your word. And God, I pray that you would use your word to work in our hearts in the specific areas of our lives that you know that we need. God, I pray this morning that all who are under the sound of my voice would understand that anything that I said, 
with a heart of love. God, I pray that we would examine our own hearts to see how we might be following the example of John the Baptist or maybe how we might be following the example of Herod. Help us to be truthful. Help us to listen to your spirit. Help us to receive and apply and live the word that you have given to us. And God, if there's any here today who have never trusted Christ, I do pray that your word and your spirit would work in their hearts to open their eyes from darkness to light, to show them the need that they have of a Savior, and that they would understand that that Savior is Jesus. Help us, God. Help us in ways that we don't even understand we need help this morning. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Ethan's going to come and and we're going to sing a song. And as we close, I would ask us to think about what we've heard and respond in a way that God would desire. If you have questions about salvation, I would love to meet you in the back and, and show you how you can be saved, how John's Jesus can be your Jesus. But if you are saved today, may we collectively look at our hearts through the the lens of God's word and the power of the spirit and make decisions based on his prompting in our lives. Would you stand as we sing?